Welcome to the Review Name Podcast. Uh, this is our second week here. Today, if you stick with us, we're going to be doing uh, Who Won the Week, talking about playing a little game of who would win in a fight. We're going to talk about The Hobbit becoming a trilogy. We're going to talk about Marvel Comics relaunch. And uh, we may do a few other things if we have some time, so we'll see how it goes. First off, I want to introduce everyone who's on the show with us today. We have Sam. Hello. We have Alex. Hello there. And we have Chris. Howdy. So, the four of us are going to be leading through the show today. We, uh, we'd like to say we have Rachel, because she's supposed to be here. But, again, she's not, so that's lovely. You um, ruined the game already. We're going to start... <laughs> yeah, well... I mean, Rachel's Fourth here, she's just a broken. mime, or something. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to start go. off here... It's fine. <laughs> Damn it, George! Start off here with a little wrap up of the week in pop culture news that will give us our Who Won the Week nominations. So, one of the big stories this week was uh, the Hobbit becoming a trilogy, and we want to talk a little bit before we talk about that more specifically about how good that is for New Zealand. What did you guys think about that? It put New They're... Zealand on the map for me, anyway, and I think for most Americans. It, it made New I'm Zealand, uh, Lord of the Rings made New Zealand a destination that I want to visit before I die. So, I mean, just because, like, it becoming the Hobbit also, just, it's awesome. Well, it, it already was it, the Hobbit, but, you know, the trilogy will make it even more awesome because there will be more places for me to visit when I go there. Don't they, uh, don't they keep a lot of the sets standing now? Like, um, the Shire is still there? Yeah, and go yeah and I think you out. can visit yeah. the, uh, like, the house, I think, right? The, they must the be national monuments. What else could yeah. they possibly Yeah, it's have? like, it's like our Lincoln Memorial is their, their Shire. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the, uh, the tomb of the unknown soldier. Right, exactly. <laughs> Except the there are hobbit. hairy-footed hobbits running around. <laughs> exactly. But actually, they, you know, they always joke about that on uh, Flight of the Concords back in the day, is that, you know, everybody who lives in New Zealand at some point will show up in a Peter Jackson movie. Well, there aren't that many people there, I mean, it makes sense. Exactly, they need, they need some extras to play. And, uh, there aren't that many, and they all know how to ride horses. There aren't that many people there. Yeah, there aren't that many people there, but there are a lot of elves and dwarves and other mythical creatures there, so that really made it make sense for Peter Jackson to pick New Zealand. Yeah. Oh. Uh, another one of the pretty. big stories this week is is the slow rise of Dan Harmon, who uh, got taken out when he was fired from Community earlier this year and broke all of our hearts, but now has three different sitcoms in development. God bless that the man. The problem with... The problem with that is, you know, I think a lot of people have sitcoms in development and a lot of people have pilots, but, you know, how often do we hear about, you know, some great comedian or actor that we love that has, you know, oh, Patton Oswalt's doing a pilot with Louis C.K. and everybody's favorite comedian and, you know, nothing comes of it. I mean, Louis C.K. had a CBS pilot, I think. Uh, I heard about it like a couple well, months ago. Well, I think the interesting thing here... didn't come to fruition. I think the interesting thing here is how much, like, we know that his Adult Swim pilot was in production while he was on Community, but how much of this is a reaction to him getting kicked off Community? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think... I mean, I mean now he has more time to get a job. 
<laughs> I guess that's a way to look at it. I, I think just, I think it has to play a factor into it. I think it's easy to see that there is a cult following out there that recognizes that the reason why they love community is Dan Harmon. And I think, as you said, Sam, it's like, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that most of these will probably fall through at some point. But I think the network's part of the, the reason why he's getting these deals right now is networks just thinking, why not? Here's a guy with a proven cult audience that will follow him over. That being said, I'm not crazy about the networks he's developing them with. Just like Dan Harmon's sensibilities on a CBS show just, <laughs> terrifying. just does not work for me. <laughs> I don't understand how that would... I, I does not compute for me. Well, he was able to get it done. The concern is that... I, I'm sorry, I think what? the other concern... <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I think the other concern Bueller? is that... <laughs> I think the other concern is that Dan Harmon is sort of pledged to do the making a dumber sitcom so that it'll stay on the air thing, which is the bitter, like, Mitch Hurwitz with Running Wild idea of, like, Ugh. well, America didn't like my genius uh, auteur sitcom, so I'm just going to make something stupid. So, I, I mean, I hope he doesn't follow through on that if one of these does go to series, but that's also a potential concern. He even said that the paintball episodes and those episodes specifically that we love about Community were reactions to him getting bored with Community. So, take that for what you will. I won't take anything from that. That would just be too upsetting. Um, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think Dan Harmon could, you know, he could thrive in any environment. Look what he was able to get away with on network and i mean even considering that nbc you know when they started with community it had a better it had a good track record about you know inventive comedies which they're apparently going away from um i mean ideally i think he would be like a cable guy he's he seems the perfect person to have an fx show um or something on comedy oh i thought Central. you meant an actual cable guy no i mean he, like he actually if <laughs> like a man who kind of looks like cable he kind of looks like an actual cable guy <laughs> Yeah, I would like it if Dan Harmon came and fixed my cable. I would enjoy that conversation. I, we could hang out. Yeah, uh, but so I, I, I w- it wouldn't surprise me if one of these does come through. Like it's the numbers are the, good right now. Three the Adult shows. Swim show will be happening at well, least for an episode. Okay, the numbers are good now, and he has three shows. But you know, Community was a failure by by network. It's still, terms. Let's not and forget, think, it's still on. It's on Friday nights at like eight thirty now, and it's it. it it has been near death for a long time. It's it's not a popular show. I mean, let's not con- let's not confuse the fact that you know we all love it and critics love it and it gets all these votes on Hulu for best show or whatever. But the problem is, it's not a successful show. That's in the end part of the reason why he was replaced. He was replaced to have the show become, I think, a little bit broader. Um, so he's not necessarily a huge commodity for a network who wants to have a hit show. He hasn't done it. I think, you know, the guy who created Two and a Half Men or the guy who created According to Jim would probably have Chuck a much Lurie, better chance. I think his name is. Yeah. Uh, he would have a much better chance of getting a show or multiple shows picked up by a network just because, you know, his previous work has done I, so well. The fact that Dan Harmon's well, that man has yeah, I think claim don't mean anything. Chuck Lorre has a specific... Chuck Lorre has a specific talent for figuring out what dumb America likes between Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men being two of the most popular <laughs> shows on television. I, it's amazing. Yeah. 
I think Big yeah. Bang Theory is kind of like um, it's indicative of this like weird nerd culture that isn't necessarily like the best comedy. I don't know how to describe it. I think Jordan and I were once talking about community and we were talking about why we like the show. And I think we might like the show for a very different reason than, you know, a lot of other people. I think some people, you know, kind of like the nerdier sex of people who like it, they enjoy it more for its, you know, references to pop culture as opposed to like its unique structures and the way it, you know, messes around with the genre. Yeah, I think we've said before, we were interested in community as the idea of the way it plays with the ideas of sitcoms and the way it plays with the all the genres that it's referencing. And even the way that it does in season three, the, the longer story arc, which is very rare on a sitcom to do a full season story arc like it pretty much did. Uh, a lot of that is why I was I thought community is one of the greatest shows um, around. And I mean, probably still will not be, but... For the last three years, it's been one of the best comedies on TV for that reason. Um, but I think you're right, Sam, that a lot of people who like it like that they did a Pulp Fiction episode one time or, you know, like that they do uh, space parody episodes, which isn't necessarily a bad zombies. Like the show. It's just Don't different. Zombies. Oh, yeah, there were zombies, too. Pulling, pulling this back together for a second. Um, so in terms of this being a good week for Dan Harmon, do you think this is... I mean, again, nothing has come up with this quite yet, but do you think this is kind of, in a sense, vindicating to him after having been replaced on Community? He's now, at least at the moment, a hot commodity. Do you think that's something he can kind of... How good a week do we think this is for him? It's definitely a good week. week, I mean, he's... he's, he's, uh, He's a master of self-deprecation, so I don't know if he's going to be gloating around or anything. That's true. I think it's 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 a good sign that networks want to take a chance with him. And the thinking is, you know, there's going to be some built-in audience, even if it isn't a huge built-in audience. You know, if, if a show of his does get picked up, let's all admit we're all going to be watching at least the first season. Um, so Absolutely. I, I think networks are banking on that. And they're kind of, they're going to hope that it's going to be something a little bit broader than community that can, you know, catch a big audience. And Let's... Let's put it this way. How many people on the podcast are still watching the newsroom right now? Yeah. I am. I am not. I, I don't I don't I have like HBO the newsroom though. though. I don't have any problem with that though. Okay, well Alex, we're gonna fight about that in a different week. Alright, <laughs> all right, let's uh, do it. A segment it for next week has already been put on the books. Alright. So does everybody <laughs> still right, watch cool. the newsroom? Well um I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I watch Press? it and I'm mad about it every week, I, I but I, I watch it and I'll probably watch it as long as it's a show. <laughs> Has it gotten no? I, I feel the same way. No. Well, there was one episode that I thought was well, okay, but back to Dan Harmon things. Kind of. Who's going to watch yeah. the fourth season of Community? We all are. I think. I want to yeah. see what they're doing. Yeah, um, I think every one of us will. Absolutely. Because you know, I'm loyal to. And I'm loyal to Dan Harmon. As soon as they do but, their first you know, genre yeah. episode. I think, I need more I think there's still, you know, reason um, to watch. Yeah, I, yeah. There's. it's going to be interesting to see. I do not think it will be as good a show. Um, and frankly, I'm afraid it will be a terrible show now. Though with that cast, I imagine it's still going to be entertaining to watch, even if it feels like a neutered puppy. The cast knows their characters well enough that that's what you're coming back for, really, is to spend time with those people. And the cast can, the actors that they got can carry that. 
Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything if the writing isn't there, you know? Someone could write these characters poorly, and they could just be shells of what they used to be. Just depends on how much... Wait, do you mean the actors don't make up what they say? No, much to, uh, against popular opinion, they don't just improvise the whole show. Damn! Yeah. Sorry, Jordan. All right, so good week for Dan Harmon. Let's move on to uh, another big story for the week. Uh, and this is tied into another beloved sitcom that we could probably spend forever talking about. Jason Bateman has been doing a lot of teasing as to the new Arrested Development that is being made right now. And it's, uh, it's been quite titillating. I'm still so ambivalent What do you guys think about that? I, I, I would find it hilarious if it's actually just him and Michael Sarah hanging out on one of the abandoned sets just fucking with us all. Like, I'd rather watch that. <laughs> it's just this incredibly cruel joke of theirs. Well, I, and they, just, they, just go, they just go over to the old abandoned sets. It's just them. Ron Howard shows up. They have a couple 40s and then take some pictures <laughs> and then just screw with America. Ron Howard's actually there against his will. Jason Bateman's had him tied up in the closet and he just wants <laughs> to direct another movie. And Michael Sarah's completely fine with it. Yeah. I think What's Ron he Howard's do? Michael Sarah's completely also, immoral. Uh, I think we all know that. I think Ron Howard has also like tweeted photos of uh, you know, scripts and stuff as another tease. He's tweeted photos of the cover pages of scripts. Well there you I don't go. know if you I buy it. They wouldn't put the uh, they wouldn't put the cover page on if there wasn't anything uh, underneath. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Sam Lindauer logic, folks. Yep. <laughs> I have a, I have like object permanence of a, like a baby. There's like it's got to be behind there. Or no, I guess I guess a baby wouldn't know that there was anything behind yeah. there. So I think yeah, I would Jordan, say that's the opposite of, of not having object permanence. Jordan, I think you have the object permanence of a baby. I'm like there is something behind that cover because there's something telling me in front that there is. You're like it's gone. It's I'm just I'm just paranoid. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, you've been kind of silent on all this. What, what, do, you, what do you think about this whole thing? Yeah, Rachel has nothing to say. <laughs> Rachel, say nothing if you hate Arrested Development. God damn it, Rachel. Wow, she just she hates Arrested Development. That's terrible to me. What an unpopular opinion. <laughs> For all the moaning and griping about Arrested Development getting canceled, I thought the show had a solid ending to all their story arcs and everything. I don't understand why they would come back. I mean, I agree with you that the ending was solid, but I'll take more. I'll take more as much as I can get it. I think, yeah. the thir- I think the third season was the weakest season of the show, and I think it felt rushed. And I think that was because... You know, I'm not a huge fan started. of the show to begin with, so I um, thought it was I, good, but not as amazing as everyone talks about. I think Mitch Hurwitz kind of rushed that last season and kind of, you know, threw that ending together and had, you know, it, it, he definitely gave it an ending. Um, yeah, but God bless them, they had an ending. I just finished watching Twin Peaks, and I don't know if you've seen that ending, but holy shit. There's, well, there's something the movie, that makes you, right? makes you want oh, more. Oh, man, Alex. <laughs> they didn't answer that in the movie. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen no, it. No, they were supposed to be a third season. They were trying to grab the third the season of Twin Peaks. <laughs> What's that? Spoilers for a, a 20-year-old movie. There are not a lot of answers in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, Though there is a fair amount it. of David Bowie. Well, that's good. I mean... The movie didn't really answer any of the things you wanted answered, but it gave, 
it took you back to Twin Peaks, which is kind of what you want anyways. But uh, no, I'm enough about Twin Peaks. Back on topic. <laughs> Twin Peaks Twin <laughs> Peaks did not win the week. I think we can all agree. What, what was <laughs> No. Topic? Not it a great week for Twin Peaks. Won my week. <laughs> all right, Chris, you um, want to move on to the Another big next story one? we want to talk about. Yeah, another big story we want to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to kick this one off with two words, and we'll see what you guys think. Snoop Lion. He learned how to evolve like Pokemon. I don't know how a Snoop dog evolved into a Snoop Lion. I uh, I thought it was a joke for the first for the first day. I I, I was just waiting for the press release to come saying that this is a joke. It's a publicity stunt. It's just showing that he can command a new cycle with something this ridiculous. But no, apparently it's for real. Snoop I think dog it is all is those things. Lion. <laughs> Do you think he's just going to be Snoop Lion for his reggae it's, albums? It's or... All right, what were you saying, Alex? Do you think he's just going to be Snoop Lion for his reggae albums and still release rap albums under Snoop Dogg? Or do you think he's just going to go all Snoop Lion all the time? He releases uh... rap albums? I was under the impression <laughs> that he was right? just Wait, a is he Kate... a rap artist? He doesn't just smoke pot all day, just, right? Uh... An actor in Katy Perry's music videos. <laughs> Wait, that's Snoop... the last time she's brought up on this podcast. Snoop Dogg, star of Starsky and Hutch, he raps. Yeah. <laughs> and Soul Plane, the Oscar award-winning portrayal of Huggy Bear. I see. I really just thought that he was a, a weed dealer. That was a really popular guy in Hollywood. No, he he musics occasionally, from time to time. And now he's doing so under like to a, wonder. a whole new moniker for. Yeah. I always, I, always I, like I think it's impressive. I think it's impressive that I mean, for that day, that was the big story of the day, and no one knew how to react to it. And I think what it comes down to for me is like I found myself incredibly affected by this, realizing that I'm not even really a fan <laughs> of Soup Dog in any sort of way, but it's just like. Some part of me felt like an era had ended, like something big had changed in my life, and there was no going back from that point on, from the moment where Snoop Dogg became Snoop Lion. Like, it was it was a, my own personal, it was a personal watershed moment for me, but for the life of me, I can't explain why to you. I really can't explain it. It's truly morning in America. How Do you think he was really, really high when he decided to do all this, and then got not as high, and was like, oh shit, now I have to go with this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he ever gets not as high. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'll. I don't think that'll come up for at least three or four years. He won't come down <laughs> for another four years to figure that out. All right, I think we should move um, on. All right, so <laughs> yeah, mo- yeah. Moving on to the last big story of the week, we have the sight and sound poll being released and a huge upset with Citizen Kane being knocked all the way down to number two behind uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So what did you Vertigo guys think about is the, now the, the best movie of all time. And about, about Vertigo's ascension to the greatest movie of all time that we now all have to tell all our friends that forget Citizen Kane, Vertigo is the best movie of all time. I don't know what to think anymore, you guys. Citizen Kane was my favorite movie ever and now I guess it has to be Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. Up mean, is down, left is right. 
I knew that Vertigo was a great movie. I knew that Citizen Kane was a great movie. But now I have to go see Tokyo Story. So, yeah, Tokyo Story. Tokyo Story, I think, got number one for the director's uh, poll. I think it did. It did. It it did. Yes. I haven't seen it, so I guess that's the next one I got to see. Yeah, we should do that for a movie club sometime soon. That would be good. That would be perfect. The really interesting thing about this list is that it only comes out once every 10 years. So it makes it kind of a special event to see what new movies make it and what don't. I think the most interesting thing are the movies that came out in 2000, in the like decade of 2000 that are on here, like uh, Mulholland Drive on there. I think that I think there are only two that came out in, uh, yeah. in the 21st century. In the, I think yeah. it's Mulholland Drive and Mulholland, uh, in the mood for oh, love. In the mood for by love. Car yeah. Y. Yeah, which is on Netflix. Both of which are really good movies. Uh, I don't know if I would have picked them as the two to make the list, though. If I if I was a voting member. <laughs> well, Guys, I mean, where does the Dark Knight Rises rank on the 50 greatest movies of all time? <laughs> is it number four or five? Maybe. Maybe in another decade. I say Dark Knight 1, Dark Knight Rises 2, Porky's 2, and then Batman Begins to round out the oh. top four. No Porky's love? No Porky's 2 love? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> well, another interesting uh, but, thing about this um, list is that they increased the, the voting to the highest number of voters they've ever had. It's the youngest age, like median age of voters they've ever had. But the movies themselves, on a whole, are older than they've ever been before. So that's an interesting uh, thing to think about as we go forward through the next 10 years and wait for this list again. I mean, I think the Sight and Sound poll is is really uh, sort of as close to the respected film canon as, as we get. I mean, people people put a lot more weight in sight and sound than they do into things like the AFI list or previous Oscar winners. It's it's very respected, uh, and so I think that even though it's just another list at the end of the day, I think it does sort of change people's attitudes toward the movies that move up and down in the list, even if only slightly and even if only in academic conversations. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's cool, like uh, Alex said, that it's you know it's once every ten years and it's such a big deal. Um, but I, I think we're we're going to see you know I guess when the next one comes out, I think we'll see a lot more uh, ones from this decade because I think there's always the feeling that oh, if it's a current movie, I guess it's not you know it hasn't like withstood the test of time yet, so. The National Film Archive has a rule that they can't induct a movie that was made in the past 10 years. It has to be at least 10 years old so that we have uh, some time to reflect back on it and see what the actual repercussions of it are going to be culturally. Except for Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, it was the first Sight and Sound poll that they did uh, was in 52 and Bicycle Thieves was, was the winner and it had come out four years earlier. Um, and people like freaked out about that. So I think they've gotten more conservative with the idea of let's we can throw in newer movies once they're older. Like let's just leave it alone, let the canon stand, um, and not upset anybody. 
which has good and bad things. I don't really mind that No Country for Old Men isn't on the list yet, because I know it will be someday. Um, so I'm not too concerned about it at the moment. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's good to look back at film history and see where we stand every 10 years, even, you know, even if it's just where these 846 people stand. Well, I, th- I, read a, I, re- I read a good article on the AV Club. I forget if it was Scott Tobias or Noel Murray who wrote it. But it was, it was, basically, it was about, the, uh, about the list. And it was talking about how, they, like, the stodginess of the lists and how, you know, uh, the BFI or Sight and Sound poll is always geared towards old movies and how that's kind of like a good thing about the list. And that I, I, I do, I think it is actually good that you know, every year we don't have like, oh, the last batch of movies from the last 10 years are going to be like all high up because they're fresh in people's minds. I think it, it makes it a bigger deal when maybe, you know, a No Country for Old Men or something shows up on the list, you know, 10 years from now. I think it makes it a much bigger deal. I think it makes it kind of cooler. Yeah, if you want that list, you have to go to the IMD Top 100. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Shawshank Redemption is Which... still the greatest movie of all time, thanks to uh, IMDb. Trades back and forth with the Godfather, yeah. but I mean that's where the Dark Knight is on there. It's in the top ten. Okay, uh, are we ready to move on? Yeah, yes. I think we're. I think we're ready okay. to move on. Um, just to wrap up, so based on our news rundown here, we're gonna have the who won the week at the end of the show. The nominees for that will be New Zealand, Dan Harmon, Jason Bateman, Snoop Lion, and Alfred Hitchcock for his Vertigo ascendancy. Um, so we'll talk about that and we'll decide who wins at the end of the show. For now, uh, Chris, we're going to move it over to you, and we're going to play a little game. Okay, so the game for this week is Who Would Win? So it is a who would win in a fight scenario. I'll kick out a few to the panelists, and we will discuss, and we will come up with a winner for who would win in this fight. Now, naturally, uh, Sam and Rachel are going to be at odds for this one, as usual, but I think that Sam might be able to out-debate her a little bit. Anyways, um, so let's... (laughs) Rachel, if Sam is smarter than you, don't say anything. Well, I think that's a pretty... Uh, wow, the silence is yeah. deafening. Off to, a, off to a good start there. So I'm going to kick this off with... Um, let's go with two criminals who have so far evaded the reach of the law. And I'm going to leave how they are fighting each other a little bit open-ended. You guys can frame it however you'd like. But our first who would win is going to be Dexter versus Walter White. Ooh, Walter White. Just because I don't like Dexter as much. <laughs> I like I like Walter White more too, but I think Dexter would win. Walter White isn't a yeah. De- it, De- Walter White isn't like a like a a trained killer. I think Walter White's good at like talking his way out of stuff. He's not Dexter's a physically imposing like, figure either. He, yeah, he hasn't killed anyone on that show. His hands are free of blood. <laughs> You're right, but but Dexter literally kills someone at the beginning of every single episode. Yeah, Dexter has quite the body count. Um, Walter White has the brains, though. Let me, let me Walter White it. can formulate a plan to get Dexter where he wants and then blow him up with a small rock. Yeah, but Dexter could... Dexter's yeah, good snooping around. Think of all the times that Dexter's had someone on the table who's tried to talk their way out of it, and every time he's just killed that person. 
I feel like Walter White gets on that table and he's not getting up. That's if he gets on the table. Dexter would just put tape over his mouth. I think that's another Dexter move if someone's good at talking. See, Walter. Walter's problem is he gets he gets ambushed a lot. Like uh, they're they're always sending guys around to his house to pick him up, and he always gets picked up. So that's I think that's where he has his problem. I, I admit with you, he's a master strategist and manipulator. But like when when push comes to shove, he's usually home when the henchmen come to round him up. So I don't really like his chances against Dexter sneaking into his house. Dexter's one person, and he evades dozens all the time. He'll send Dexter to someone that uh, he thinks Dexter needs to go to, and then he'll get blown up by a man in a wheelchair. <laughs> Why would Dexter go <laughs> anywhere? Walter, Walter White Walter actually White. has anywhere that Brian Cranston tells him to go. Walter White takes no chances. I, I like the idea that Walter White has one plan, and it's just get a guy in a wheelchair to do it. <laughs> it just sends like wheelchair bombs at people. Like every threat that comes up against him from here on out is like, we need a man in a wheelchair. Can we find a guy who hates this guy who's also in a wheelchair? He just keeps checking people out of that old folks' home like one by one. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep disappearing. Um, okay, so final. Where do we stand on this? Finally, I say Dexter wins. Right. I say. Uh, Sam? I say Dexter also. Alex? It's always going to be Walter. I'm going to have to give it to Dexter as well. I hate you all. Interesting. <laughs> all right, so Dexter would win. Your lack of faith way. in your lack of faith in Heisenberg astounds me. All right, hey, let's... I think Breaking Bad is the better show, and I think Brian Cranston can kill Michael C. Hall with all the Emmys he's won, but <laughs> character-wise, I think Dexter wins in the fight. All right, let's move on to something a little topical at the moment. Uh, Jason Bourne versus Brian Mills, Liam Neeson's character from Taken. Did Jason Bourne take his daughter? Yes. (laughs) He did. Mm. That changes the whole dynamic. Why did Jason Bourne take his daughter? (laughs) Treadstone. He was lonely. (laughs) To be clear, to be clear, um, this is Jason Bourne, not whatever. It's not the new Jason Bourne. This it's is not... this is the Matt Damon Jason Bourne, not the Jeremy Renner, what whoever he's supposed to be. Like Aaron Cross. Is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with Jason Bourne. I think Ryan Mills is just like an angry middle aged man. Jason Bourne is like genetically engineered, right? So I think this yeah. one's a no brainer. Yeah, I have yeah. to agree. I haven't seen Jason Bourne. I haven't seen Taken, but Jason Bourne is so badass that I feel like he definitely wins in a fight. I'm gonna also give it to Jason Bourne because there is a Taken Two where somebody near dear to Liam Neeson's character gets taken again, which I really wish was the actual title of the movie, Taken Again. Like how many times <laughs> does this guy lose his daughter? <laughs> well, think about yeah. speed, like speed two. Like how many how many different, you know, motor vehicles could you be on that get hijacked with it's so like cruise Speed control, like you're on a boat Sam. again. Cruise control, yeah. yeah it's a, it's a <laughs> totally this different than a bus. Under it's totally miles. It's a transportation device. Speed two is completely plausible. I I will stand by that. Speed three okay, is so on I think we're scooter. unanimously giving this one to Jason Bourne. All right, so yep. you guys want one last one or two more? Let's Go see Taken though. 
Taken's good. Let's do another one. Yeah, okay. one more. Yeah, let's do another one. All right, let's do another one. Uh, how about, here's an old classic that I'm sure this group will love. Han Solo versus Malcolm Reynolds. Ooh. Ooh, can I ask a question? That's it... tough. Sure. Uh, is this like one-on-one or are there are there friends involved at all? It is it is a one-on-one. Okay. Do they have their spaceships? Yes. It, do they have So it's a space battle. It it could be let let's say it's let's say it's no All right, let's take the spaceships out of it. Let's just say it's them and their respective weapons of choice. Okay, so they can have weapons. Blasters. Sure. I'm going to have to say Malcolm Reynolds. All right, here's another important question. Is it is it pre-edits? Uh, Pre-Lucas edits Han Solo or post-edits? Of course, there's no Lucas edits. What are you talking about? Who is George Lucas? (laughs) Exactly. Then I'm going with Han. Ooh, interesting. All right, so Alex, why Malcolm Reynolds? Because he fought in wars. He knows that if he's got a fight to handle, he will kick someone into a jet turbine or spaceship turbine, whatever it is. And win. I don't know. Sam, why Han? Because Han shoots first. Yeah, I actually, I have another question before I I submit a vote. Okay. Is it it pre-New Hope Han Solo, or is it post-Jedi Han Solo? Ooh. Um, I would expect it to be, like, you know, in between, right? Like, during those three movies? Let's let's say Han Solo in the gap between A New Hope and Empire. How about oh, that? Oh, well, that's a good Han Solo. That's a good Han Solo, but I'm going with Malcolm Reynolds then. Yay! Here's And here's why. I think pre-New Hope Han Solo is more of a doesn't-give-a-shit-about-anybody badass. Um, I think after A New Hope, Han Solo is starting to form some, some people he cares about. Malcolm Reynolds always cared about people. Uh, and that made him, that's one of his strengths. Whereas Han Solo, I think, it's going to take some adjustments. He was the, the badass loner who's now, who's now adjusting himself to a new way of life. I think he's going to be weaker. I think he's going to be softer than he would have been prior to New Hope. And I think Malcolm Reynolds takes him out. Hmm. What about you, Chris? It is Deciding tough. Vote. It is tough. I think I'm going to give it to Han, to be honest with you. Oh. Yay. I, when it comes down to it, I, I, I'm going to go to it just from like the opposite of your reasons, Jordan. I, I feel like this is a Han Solo who is currently fighting a war. He's not far off from that uh, sensibility you were talking about where he's still like the loner. I mean, yeah, he's developing these new relationships, but at the same time, Malcolm has always had these, like, has had those attachments. I think Han is still a little bit more of a rogue at this point, and also he is right now a seasoned fighter, whereas now we'll see a dust-up time to time. He's not a general, a captain in the field like Han Solo is. So I'm going to give it to Han Solo for this one. All right, that means we're tied. Rachel, can you break the tie for us? Malcolm Reynolds. She seems to be refusing to. <laughs> Anyone who knows Rachel knows that she doesn't sound like that. <laughs> um... I guess I guess we're gonna have to leave this one as a tie and two titans of the uh, sci-fi genre. 
are going to be duking out eternally in the back of our minds. I think that's a. I think that's the most appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like how that. Even though you're okay. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're going to move along now, and we're going to talk about the Hobbit, which uh, is now going to become a. Oh, trilogy. you mean those two I Hobbit movies? Off... <laughs> I wanna I wanna start off by by asking, how do you guys think this is going to work out in general? Seeing as the Lord of the Rings, three books to three movies. The Hobbit, one book that, as I seem to recall, is shorter than most of the Lord of the Rings books, is now going to become itself three movies. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Let's open up the floor. The Hobbit is not going to become three movies. It's The Hobbit plus the appendices that are going to become three movies. So, I mean, he's not, like, taking the end of The Hobbit and actually making that into a third movie. He's going to take everything that Tolkien's wrote and kind of try and make some sort of amalgamation of a movie. I thought I thought he didn't have the rights to a lot of that stuff. Uh it's in public domain or something, right? I mean, his the Tolkien estate never liked the movies, so So when when you're saying the appendices, what are we referring to? Cuz I I I was under the impression that at very least the Silmarillion is off the boards, like cannot be touched. I think Silmarillion's off the table. I seem to recall yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, that's probably because that was written by Chris Tolkien, right? But anyway, yeah. I think it's uh, I think Chris. It's, it's, Chris. it's like Mickey Bourne. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Bourne. It's like the uh the non union Mexican equivalent of uh J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Senor Spielbergo. <laughs> or it's like when Mario Puzo's like third cousin writes like a prequel to The Godfather. Which they're coming out with, I think. Again. Yeah. Or another one. Uh, that is actually a thing. Wait, really? Yeah, it's all over Subway. Yeah, it's the, uh, the Family Corleone. <laughs> the Family Corleone. Sofia Coppola is going to be in it. Do you know what? Well, they're, they're, they're writing the book. I, I doubt they'll ever make a movie of it. But do you know what? Do you know what the, the, the tagline for the book is? It's horrible. It's, um, it's uh, every great saga has a beginning. Well, what a, well, fucking, I mean, that's a, what a fucking truism I mean, yeah. that is. I mean... <laughs> It's like every story starts somewhere and ends another place. Exactly. See, and my problem with that is, didn't it start with The Godfather? No, that's what you thought. I feel like that was... started with The Godfather 2, didn't you ever... Come on. Godfather 2 is a prequel. There were flashbacks. It's not a full prequel. It's also a sequel. So It's uh, it's confusing, modeling-wise. We we gotta get back (laughs) to The Hobbit here. Yeah, so I... It seems like I just looked something up. So it seems this could be the Return of the King appendices are the ones that are going to be included in this. Oh God! Wait, does that? That's how does that work? But how does that work? You know, if they're releasing these three movies subsequently, and The Hobbit takes place before everything in the Lord of the Rings movies, how will that work out? I don't understand. Explain. The appendices are just like more world building, not necessarily chronological, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of stuff about the history. I think there's some stuff involving Aragorn looking for Gollum. Um, Ooh, that'll be fun. But if that's, that's if that's the case, and it's not necessarily chronologically, you know, in order from the second Hobbit movie. Yeah. Don't you think that's going to be? I mean, I'm sure people will go see it regardless. But don't you think that's going to be kind of weird and disjointed for audiences? Even in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he didn't necessarily stick with the books because, I mean, he took stuff from the Two Towers and put it into the Return of the King and uh, all the stuff with the Spider Lair. 
So, I mean, judging on how Peter Jackson has handled the Lord of the Rings franchise, I am super excited for this. I wasn't really excited for The Hobbit until they came out with that massive poster this week, which looks amazing. But there's also there's also a huge section of of The Hobbit that's basically just reference. Like when Gandalf leaves like partway through the book, um he he goes off and has his own little adventure that they kind of like mention later in the story, but it's there's definitely a lot of material there that you can like turn into like a whole big Gandalf story to have. Let's make that a movie. Why not? Back on one of the films. Yeah, I mean, I it's, think... it's it's Gandalf going off and fighting uh, Sauron before he's returned yeah, he's to full like power. some bar man or something. I don't know. Yeah. I never read the book, but a bar I mean, man. I think that <laughs> that's bartender? in the movie, right? That's going to be in the second one or something. Like so, that. I mean, my feeling is this. I think The Hobbit was the Hobbit was my favorite Tolkien book. Uh, I thought it, it cut down a lot of the, the dry uh, genealogical stuff that weighed down a lot of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, I, I mean, I loved it the most when I was a kid when I read all the books. So, maybe because I was a kid at the time. But I always liked The Hobbit best. And I'm still not excited for it to be three movies. I feel like... I Were feel you like excited for it to be two movie. movies? I feel like it could be one movie. I would be okay with it being two movies. Three seems like it's way too much. I don't I don't even understand. Even with the appendices thrown in there, I feel like it's going to be a lot of dead weight. And I mean, he's even admitting that he's going back to the drawing board and taking some things that he cut out in the editing room and making that into a third movie. Like, they're doing reshoots, but he's also taking things that he's cut out and beefing them back up. So I feel like it's I mean, just, this movie is two years away. It's a stretch. He's got time. The movie's two years away. Yeah, but if he's, if he's left stuff on the editing room floor, if you've seen the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings movies, most of that stuff should have stayed on the editing floor. <laughs> I, I, I think, disagree, I think I that stuff's yeah, good. I love a lot of stuff, yeah. I, I think, think it, the... ad, it adds stuff to the story for those who want more story, and for those who were just going for the three-hour theatrical cut, I mean, that was unnecessary. But you're like, I, yo, where I think Frodo get that little bottle think, of water? I think we're all forgetting the big losers here. And that is our collective bladders as a nation. (laughs) I remember seeing... I don't remember a goddamn thing from Return of the King. The only thing I remember is having to urinate myself in a movie theater while watching that last goddamn movie while everything was in fucking slow motion. What a poor choice in editing that was. I had to pee so bad. My, um... My Lord Nightmare... My Lord of the Rings related nightmare was my uh, my glasses broke during the two towers. <laughs> my uh, toe that holds the, the lens in broke. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. still for the last like hour and a half of the two towers. So that my That's lens just how would awesome fall my the Lord of the Rings is. rendered blind. Jordan, what were you doing in that theater that your glasses fell apart? Just watching the Lord Nothing. of the Rings. I was That'll just sitting quietly watching two towers. Just staring at it so intensely, your glasses broke. I'm surprised <laughs> that they didn't just yeah. crack in I was half. also practicing opera. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say that so I, I think... actually I'm okay with the choice to make it three movies if for no other reason than this is a world, a cast, and a director that I am phenomenally excited to be reunited. I like the idea of knowing that I'm gonna have these three movies to look forward to, but one after the other. Like I remembered not like after Return of the King came out, and there was the idea of like there isn't that expectation of 
X number of months down the line, we're going to be back here. We're going to be back on Middle Earth. And it's, it's nice. It's like stepping, it's like going back to like a childhood vacation home or something like that. It just feels good to be back and to know that we get to spend a lot more time there. I'm happy about it, to be honest with you. I think it's See, I'm I'm move. worried it's going to be more like Phantom Menace and less like, you know, I don't know, the subsequent trilogy of some other franchise that I can't think uh, about that was really that good. That was I good. Th- <laughs> I don't think I think it I'm I'm sure it'll be good. Uh, I just I think it's like it's just so much. It's like oversaturation at a certain point, you know? Like, you know, imagine if there was I don't know if like the Dark Knight series what if there was like 3 times as much of it? You know, I, I think... What if Nolan have, made like, three good... more Batman movies? God forbid. Well, I think I think th- there would be, like, an oversaturation at a certain point. I think it would be the less difference, special. Well, the difference, is, the difference is I'm more interested in what Nolan is going to do outside the Batman franchise from now on. With Peter Jackson, I am less interested with what he wants to do outside the Batman franchise. I don't know who here has seen <laughs> The Lovely Bones, but I haven't heard good things. Yeah, but he also directed. I like the idea of Peter Jackson taking over the Batman franchise. Yeah, I, I, but I work. mean, like Peter that Jackson also work. directed. You know, he directed Heavenly Creatures too, which was a really good movie, and it didn't have. And it was know, elves and decades stuff. ago. Well, that's okay. Still a great movie. I mean, I don't know if he can think on that small level anymore. Well, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be given the the budget to you know if, do a giant. If anything, thing. I want to see him pull like what Sam Raimi did with Drag Me to Hell and go back to crazy, gory horror movies like Dead Alive. I mean, let's be honest here. I think uh, it's one of those situations where we're all gonna see all three of the Hobbit movies, and probably we're all gonna like them to varying extents. We may not think it's the greatest thing ever. We're all gonna I'm, see all of them. I'm going to be excited for it's, it's them. Here's another big question. Are, are they going to dominate the Oscars like uh, the trilogy did last time? I mean, even... No. I don't think so. He I had think Ian moment. McKellen gets a nomination I probably, a right? He's probably going to get nominated again. And not for Best Director. Maybe like the technical awards like visual effects, costumes, stuff like that. But I don't think he'll get a Best Picture award for any of these. Granted, I mean, I haven't seen the movie or a trailer <laughs> for them even, so, you know... <laughs> That's how much I'd I'm like, talking I'd about like my I'd like to think Andy Serkis might get nominated, but he never gets recognized. Oh, God. A- admittedly, that be admittedly nice? it is... It is I, I think everyone's kind of coming into this looking at it from this idea of how can this possibly be like it's good given that it just seems like they're stretching it out. But there is... I think the material is there. Like, there is... I, I could easily see it succeeding just as easily as I could see it failing. I, I definitely think that there is stuff to explore there is the material that it can work i i I mean admittedly yeah it's it's an uphill road it's a prequel trilogy based on a war like a what a 100 page book but the book itself was just notes like it it was just 200 pages i think okay but it it, the original in its original form it was just a bunch of notes tolkien had so the reason it, it took that form is because he was adapting it from the notes stuck kind of close to the story that they were given and that's what we got. Whereas the original source material from Tolkien himself was more of an outline than anything else. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I mean, I think Peter Jackson's earned a little trust. I'm not as big a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a lot of people are, but I think they were very good movies. And I imagine that at least some of the Hobbit movies that are coming out will be good. So I think, I mean, he gets a little benefit of the doubt, I think. Absolutely. Uh, 
I think we're probably about ready to move on. And Chris, do you want to take us through the Marvel Now relaunch? Okay, sure. So pretty big story in comics that popped up, I think, about two, maybe three weeks ago, but is just now starting to uh, have more information circulating around about what it actually means. Marvel has announced that following their big event of the summer, which is Avengers versus X-Men, that they're launching a new initiative called Marvel Now. And basically what they're doing is relaunching about anywhere between 16 and 22 of their most popular books with new number one issues and new creative teams, one book a week for four months straight. Um, Now, DC did something pretty similar to this about a year ago, but the main difference here is that there's not going to be any kind of continuity reboot. It's going to pick up directly where uh, all the stories leave off following Avengers versus X-Men. There's no reboots. There's no history resets. Everything's going to be pretty much the same. Uh, it's just the next chapter. And as opposed to what DC was doing, this is, this is something that was already kind of in the works because we've reached a point where a lot of Marvel books have been written by the same creative teams for like maybe four to six years now, depending on what the book is. So everyone knew that there was going to be kind of like a musical chairs reshuffle coming up at some point. And I think Marvel's just using this branding to capitalize on something that was already going to happen. At least that's how I read it. So um, I'm not sure how uh, much... uh, so is this like a controversy it. or I haven't been following it no, much at all. So is this like are are comic I fans mean, upset about this? Are they There's always going to be kind of a little bit of blowback with something like this, but for the most part I think people are excited. Like I I I'm personally excited because it means that like I just a lot of creators I like are going to be on different books. It, it's it's is I find it very exciting because it's just the prospect of X creator is going to switch over to this book and we're just going to get their vision for a while after about so, five years of no so i mean really speak. this is just like marketing speak right because i mean that yeah. doesn't seem like it should be a thing <laughs> that they name well, right well personally i feel like there's there's good and bad to it uh i like that it's doing the no like that they're not doing a continuity reboot because i think marvel's always been very good at what happens in our universe actually happens, whereas DC is like, well, that didn't happen. Let's do a reboot and change the entire universe around. Um, so I like that Marvel's keeping that. Uh, I don't like that some of the books that just got relaunched are going to be relaunched again. I mean, we're we're at less than 20 issues and less than 30 for a lot more issue, uh, uh, books that are going to get relaunched. So these books haven't been going for more than two, maybe three years, and they're all going to get new number ones again. I feel like that's that's a little strange, but... Ultimately, I think, like you said, Chris, these writers were all going to be switching up books anyways. We're coming to the end of Bendis' Avengers run. We're coming to the end of Fraction's Iron Man run, Hickman's Fantastic Four run. So with all these big, like, Titanic uh, runs winding down, we were going to see this anyway. And if they want to slap some new number ones on there um, and make it a bigger deal, I guess why not? Yeah, I think it's a good, I think it's a good branding opportunity. And um, I, I also like that they're not rolling them all out at once. Because uh, DC, when they relaunched, they, they gave uh, 52 new number one issues in the same month, which was, a, which was an absolute nightmare 
for retailers. Like the way the way uh, comics work is the actual individual stores have to buy them from a distributor, and so that there's a big chance to operate at a loss. Like because most of the companies don't allow you to sell back the books if you can't move them yourself as a retailer. So a lot of retailers had to go into the new 52 blind, had to make their best guess of how many of these books of each title they can sell. Uh, and what ended up happening was thankfully for most retailers, there was fan interest there. They were able to move the books, but in a lot of, in a lot of cases that doesn't happen. And you're just left with a lot of overstock that you really can't do anything with. Whereas I think with Marvel, uh, it's definitely a kinder move to the retailer because they're going to be able to gauge a little bit better how well they can move these books from week to week. I think it's also a kinder move to the reader, where you and I last September sat down and read 52 new books to do our crosstalk on them. And, yeah. you know, we read, like, 52 new books in, in the month, whereas this this will be reading 16 to 22 over a four-month period. A book a week, not hard to pick up an extra book and, and you know, read 20 extra pages. That's It's kinder to people who are trying to keep up with the entire initiative at the same time well, than the new 52 was. Can I can I just speak as somebody who's not, like, not super in a, like, reading, uh, you know, weekly or, you know, comics? Sure. Uh, with, with the new 52, when DC did the new 52, I thought it was, like, a good way for someone like me who, you know, basically the only time I'd read Batman comics was when they would be, like, you know, put in those, like, nice hardbound collections, um, and Jordan told me to read them. But for someone who doesn't, you know, didn't go to the comic book store every week or a couple of weeks to pick up a new issue, it was like it was very it was very conducive to me to just kind of like hop on board and get number one. And you know, I've followed all of the Batman series so far, Scott Snyder's Batman series so far, because it's very inclusive. Do you think that because they're not rebooting any of the storylines, do you think that's going to keep out new people? Because I think part of the DC success with the New Fifty Two was that it was inclusive to, you know, people who might not have been as hardcore fans. I mean, I have to agree with you there because I didn't read comics on a weekly basis or a monthly basis until New 52, and that was reading those 52 books inside that month is what made me start reading more Marvel books on a monthly basis. And I used to I used to wait until runs were done where an author had left the book, and then I would go find all the trades for those books if I wanted to read it. And now I read, you know, a lot of books every month. So I think that was definitely successful, and I'm not sure we'll see the same in Marvel's, uh, seeing as they're not doing the continuity reboot, and it will be harder to follow since there's one new book every week. And I think also, like, a lot of it is just in the way that things are presented. Like, I, I definitely agree with you, Sam, that the one of the big appeals of the New 52 was this idea of you don't have to know this history coming into things. It's a fresh start. But using Scott Snyder's Batman as an example, there actually weren't a great deal of continuity reboots with that book. They just kind of chose to not address a lot of things. Um, but as it stands, the, I, I mean, Jordan, maybe you disagree with me on this as it stands. Like I, I have a lot of questions about like what the new bat continuity is um, because they really didn't erase anything. They just kind of altered a few things, but I think Scott Snyder has done a great job of keeping things accessible regardless of the fact that there weren't as many, like, there wasn't as clean a reboot there as there was with, say, Superman. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with Batman and Green Lantern, you kept all of the continuity, and DC decided that they'd been superheroes for five years instead of the questionable amount of time it was in the last in the old DC continuity. Yeah. So I feel like the, the biggest thing is with those two books, you just have 
wow, they've had like a really terrible, really continuity packed five years. Like yeah. everything that's ever happened to Batman now happened in five years. Right. And also that that makes it interesting how Damian Wayne is ten years old, but that's a whole different thing. So getting back to Marvel now for a second. So they're starting to roll out some of the new creative teams. Uh, a lot of the things are something that people could predict. Um, I think everybody kind of guessed that uh, Kieran Gillum was going to be the new writer on Iron Man. Uh, one of the things that I was most surprised at, um, and I think is kind of a cool move, is uh, Deadpool is now going to be written by comedian Brian Posehn. Oh, I love um, Brian Posehn. Which is kind of, yeah, it's kind of it's kind one. of an out of left field choice, but I think it's uh, definitely it, it definitely raises a few eyebrows. I'm gonna check out the book. I think it's a inspired choice. Yeah, I think there I should mean, be more choices like that in comics. Uh, I'm sorry, what you say, Alex? I think there should be more choices like that in comics because we know that there yeah. are a lot of like hot, like more recognized celebrities out there, like Pat Oswalt and uh, Kevin Smith, who love comic books. And I think if given the chance, they would write some really amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, um, let me ask. Let me ask this to Alex and Sam, who aren't bigger com- big comics fans like Chris and I are at this point. Uh, would you consider checking out any of the new Marvel books as they're running out? I don't know what they are. Uh, I would check out. I would probably maybe check out Deadpool now, uh, just because I'm a fan of Brian Posehn. And I know I know very little about the character, though, which might make it not such a great idea, considering they're not rebooting anything. Um, I'm not. I mean, what are they doing with like X Men? Like, because I imagine they're going to be like 50 different runs of X Men in this reboot, right? Uh, so far, they've only announced one X Men. Oh, okay. Book as part of the reboot. I mean, they're, they're four X Men books weren't rebooted. One is being rebooted. So at the moment, there are five different X Men books. Yeah. Avengers is where you're going to see, like, there there is going to be a lot of books with Avengers in the title. A lot. Well, it's going to be kind of like when DC rebooted Batman. The only Batman one I actually read was Scott Snyder's. I know there was, you yeah. know, there was The Dark Knight, and there was Detective Comics, and there was Batwing, and then there was, like, the Robin shit. Um, you know, I might check out Marvel the next time I go in for Batman. Um, but I don't think I'm going to end up seeking it out. I just haven't been a huge Marvel reader. I mean, I've read it when, you know, you know, Jordan let me read the uh, Joss Whedon's run with the X-Men, which was great. Um, but yeah, because it, because it kind of seems like I got to be more of a fan and a little bit more in the know about what's going on in these universes, it's definitely going to hinder me from hopping on board. I mean, I know enough about comics to say that you don't follow, or at least you're I shouldn't follow specific characters necessarily, but follow the authors to where they're going to go. So if there's an author that I recognize going someplace that I think could be interesting, then I might check it out at some point. But I'm also not a big fan of picking up single-issue comics. Getting a little bit more specific for a second, uh, Jordan, um, what what are the titles that you're excited for coming up? You know, I think it's going to be a New 52 situation where I will probably read every single book that they relaunch, at least to check it out. Um, just because, you know, I'm a completist that way. If they're going to do this relaunch, I'll probably read them all. I don't I don't know what I'll be sticking with. Um, because New 52 actually surprised me some of the books that I still read and some of the ones that I don't. Uh, but I think I'll check them all out to start. The one I'm least excited about off the bat is Bendis's X-Men run. First off, because I think it doesn't play to his strengths as a writer. And second of all, because I do not like the idea of it, which has 
the original X-Men being time-dropped into the current Marvel Universe. Uh, and it seems like that's the plot of not just the first arc of the book, but of his run on the book. And that that is disconcerting to me. Obviously, I'll read it. I like Bendis, and I like X-Men, so I'm going to be reading it probably for a while. But that's the one I think I'm the most concerned about right off the bat. What about you, Chris? Well, a few comments made by Bendis so far in that book has excited me a little bit for it. And already they, I mean, I'll admit to you being wary about it for the same reasons that you just described. But the deciding factor for me there was Stuart Eamonen on art. Um, That pairing Bendis with Eamonen kind of like smooths over a lot of my early concerns on the book. Just because regardless of having like a story that's just like hampered with time travel right from the start, having Stuart Eamonen working with Bendis again, which I think is one of his most organic pairings. Um, just, it's just very exciting to me. And I, I just always love seeing Stuart Eamon in a regular book. But I think the ones that I'm most excited for right now are um, uh, Matt Fraction's uh, two taking over the Fantastic Four books. Um, because I think the zany, high-concept sci-fi stuff just really plays well to Fraction's strengths. And the idea of Fraction working with uh, Mike Madman Allred is just mind-blowingly awesome to me. I cannot wait to see what that collaboration turns out. Yeah, I have to agree. I think Fractions killed it on uh, Defenders, which I was not too sure about at the very beginning, and now I'm a super big fan of. So if he can take that same crazy, weird sense of humor and high-concept ideas to the Fantastic Four books, I think that'll be great. Cool. Okay, so we will continue to cover marvel now as more details become available but i'm excited to hear what you guys think about it excellent yeah there will we will probably do a similar crosstalk feature as we did with dc 52 as time goes on uh is it time to decide uh, who won the week i think so it is it is time to decide who won the week so to remind everyone who's listening if you still are that is of the nominees we have new zealand dan Harmon, jason bateman Snoop Lion and Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Drum and roll, we've please. taken our very complicated system of vote tabulations. We've had uh, our interns and robots that work on this the entire show, and we've managed to pull it out. And the winner is someone give me a drum roll. <laughs> okay, please stop drum rolling for the last <laughs> time. Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, we've, we've agreed that Alfred Hitchcock won the week, taking out Orson Welles and Citizen Kane from beyond the grave for both of them, really, uh, and making Vertigo apparently <laughs> the greatest movie of all time to anyone who's ever asked. So It's a fantastic I, movie. If you haven't bit, seen it, watch let's it. Let's go around and discuss why we think Alfred Hitchcock just took out the week. Uh, Alex, we want to start with you? Um, I mean, they're both fantastic movies, but I think that just just the idea of unseating Citizen Kane on that list will probably open up people more to seeing other movies, just like uh, the director's number one pick being Tokyo Story, and now I want to watch Tokyo Story. I think that if there's more shifting in that sort of list, then you'll have people more interested in going to see a lot more older classic movies that need to be remembered. All right, Chris. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Jordan. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll I'll jump in here. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's I think it's really cool just because like it, um, it, it it challenges like the conventional wisdom 
of what is the greatest movie of all time. Like, you know, we all have our own opinions about this, but like, you know, you ask anybody off the street, like, what's the greatest movie of all time? And most people will like, and the first thing they'll spring to their mind is Citizen Kane. I, I think the idea of challenging that conventional wisdom, albeit like in this, this I, single list, I, I think it's, I think it's cool that it will get people talking that, you know, for the record, I don't open. think that most people off the street would say that. I think most <laughs> I people off the street are a lot more stupid. <laughs> but, I mean, for people white that chicks, are... Maybe? Yep, white chicks, all day. Porky's <laughs> too. <laughs> but I think that uh, people who are into movies and are more film literate will have great, great discussions based around this list for the next at least year or two. If they want. Yeah, I think. Uh, Sam, what do you think? I think the most impressive thing is that from beyond the grave, Alfred Hitchcock made his movie better than Citizen Kane over the last <laughs> 10 years. It was that new remastered edition. It is. Put it the, is. When they the show those side by side things where they're like, oh, we, re- we redid the color. Um, I mean, I, mean I, was, I, was, I was more fascinated to hear that uh, Citizen Kane got dethroned, then Vertigo got number one. Because Vertigo actually isn't even in my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, but I, I, I think, I think um, it's a little, it's like kind of bittersweet, because I think Citizen Kane, I think it's a more important movie than Vertigo. Um, so I think it is kind of like a big deal in the you know film criticism community that, uh, you know, the critical, you know, the critical vote says that Vertigo is the greatest movie of all time. You know, I think I think with all lists and awards and all these things, everything should be taken with a a grain of salt. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's good to have it's good to have a debate about movies, and I think it's great that you know there's this like epic list every ten years. And like we said earlier, I think the the fact that it's every ten years is like really cool and. You know, it makes it worth arguing about if it instead of it was just you know every year or something. So I think it's definitely great to have an argument about what we think is the greatest movie of all time, or what you know, do we think Vertigo deserves it? Do we think Vertigo is even the best Hitchcock movie? So I think it's just great, you know, that we're talking about movies because of this. I mean, Vertigo, yeah, I... unseated uh, Citizen Kane by thirty votes in the critical list. Yeah, but they but think... they had you know over eight hundred critics vote, you know, so. Yeah, but thirty votes is still no small deal. I'm ju- I'm not saying that that's like a big deal, but I'm just saying like that's something to f- think about how many votes it did get over Citizen Kane. But as a contrast to that, for the director's list, Citizen Kane is second, tied with 2001: A Space Odyssey, and mm-hmm. uh, Vertigo is tied at seventh with The Godfather. So that's just an interesting uh, juxtaposition with how directors and critics view these movies. Yeah, I think uh, I've always been a big proponent of Vertigo as one of Hitchcock's best movies. Maybe my favorite. I, I tend to fluctuate a little bit on which Hitchcock movie is my favorite. But Vertigo's always been near the top for me. Um, and I don't think it gets as much critical attention in a long shot as Citizen Kane does. Even though it's been near the top of the sight and sound pool for several decades. I don't think it's ever been talked about and dissected and just vaunted as, as much as Citizen Kane has been. And so, as a big fan of the movie, and as a big proponent of more people seeing Vertigo, uh, I'm I'm really happy that it's gotten the number one seat right now. Um, Citizen Kane will always be considered one of the greatest movies of all time. It's always going to be talked about as if it is the greatest, even if it's not number one. 
and it is it deserves to be very important yeah absolutely i agree it's a great movie and it needs to be up there but i'm glad to see that vertigo might be talked about in the same breath as citizen kane for a while and might be given that same amount of attention agreed that's a good point yeah well done alfred hitchcock you're a good film director now Congratulations. Yeah. I hope he feels vindicated. I, now we can all stop shitting on Hitchcock. Doesn't doesn't he have zero Oscars too? Isn't that one of the He does have zero Oscars. Does he have a well, postmortem? It's, it's good to see the uh the Academy nailing it. <laughs> Three six so Mafia there, one Alfred. This Hitchcock list zero. is from the British Film Institute, so There you go. There you go. Um alright, so any last thoughts from anybody before we wrap up here? Porky's 2 was underrepresented. Uh, like... <laughs> Sam's only reason for coming on this podcast was actually to get Porky's 2 talked about. Uh, so, I think we're going to call that a week on Who Won the Week. Uh, congrats to Alfred Hitchcock. We'll be sending the uh, trophy, the monetary award, and all other related accoutrements to his gravesite. Uh, and hopefully we can exhume the body and bury him with all of that. Uh, the, uh, the review, I, I think he'd like that. Be... The review to be named dancers will be going to. They will dance on his grave. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, so before we wrap up the show, I wanted uh, to remind everybody, if you're listening to this on iTunes, to come check out our website at reviewbename.com. And any listeners who have any ideas for things we should do on the podcast, any questions they want us to answer on the podcast, segment ideas, nominees for who won the week, anything you want to throw at us, you can reach us at, by email at reviewbenamed at gmail.com, or you can follow us and talk to us on Twitter at reviewbenamed. Uh, we also want to go ahead and plug each of our individual Twitter site, uh, accounts for those of us, for those of you who might want to talk to us individually. Um, so why don't we go around and do that, starting with you, Alex? My Twitter account is at firstname underscore Alex. That's it. Chris? All righty. Uh, Sam? Sweet. Oh, okay, I'll go. Um, my uh, Twitter handle is at Sam Lindauer. All one word. No underscores or anything. Very simple. Uh, mine's a little uh, more complicated. Mine is uh, at Johnny McTeer, spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore M-C-T-I-E-R. And mine is not complicated, though I guess strange by comparison to Alex and Sam's. I am at Bob Channing. So if you want to follow any of us on Twitter, if you want to talk to us individually, go ahead and do it that way. If you want to talk to us about tell us we're uh, as a site, at, yeah, go ahead and tell us we're stupid. We're used to that. Um, if you want to talk to us as the site, at review to be named or review to be named at gmail.com. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more random pop culture tomfoolery. Bye bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.